again. You're listening to the Scottish Garden Podcast with me, Julianne Robertson. Our guest on this episode is M.T. O'Donnell, editor of the Scottish Gardening Magazine. It's hard to believe the Scottish Gardening Magazine was only launched this summer because in only three issues so far, it's covered so much ground, quite literally. If you're not familiar with this new digital publication, it's a free bi-monthly magazine containing features about the kinds of plants and gardening tips and tricks most suitable for the Scottish climate and conditions. The columnists who write for the magazine live in different areas of Scotland and have a wide variety of interests and experience, including allotment growing, planting on a balcony, gardening for well-being, gardening with kids... When I saw it was being launched, I was really excited and happy to see that someone else had noticed the real lack of Scottish-based writing and media about gardening. I mean, while I really enjoy reading the great magazines that are already produced about gardening, it's fair to say that not too many column inches are dedicated to the conditions where I grow here in Scotland. It's something that I really wanted to rectify with this podcast. And now someone else is tackling the world of magazines. So I really wanted to meet that person, who is M.T. O'Donnell, and she kindly agreed to give me some of her time, even while she was busy producing issue three, to speak to the Scottish Garden Podcast. I guess what I want to know, first of all, is how did the magazine start? Where did this idea come from for the Scottish Gardening magazine? Well, I've been a gardening writer and blogger for some um, years now, but there aren't that many opportunities to write specifically about gardening in Scottish publications. And as you know, planting and blooming and harvesting times in Scotland are different to those in the south of England. So I've long held the belief that there was a huge black hole in the sharing of knowledge about and in celebrating Scottish gardening in general. But more than simply publishing a magazine which gives more realistic planting times for our unique climate and and which highlights the wonderful gardens um, that we have around the country. I wanted to recognise and to celebrate all the day-to-day growing that goes on in real Scottish gardens and allotments undertaken in all weathers by real Scottish gardeners. So the idea of having a dedicated Scottish gardening magazine has been bouncing around in my head for a long time. But I I guess this year, given the rise in interest in gardening, which happened um, during the lockdown in the spring of 2020, it seemed now like exactly the right time to, to bring it to fruition. Well, I think you've touched on something that I find really good about the magazine, and that is that it covers so many different aspects of Scottish gardening and and from right across the country as well. Yeah and that obviously that's deliberate in the kind of aims of the magazine. We want it to be something which is practical first and foremost, not just aspirational. Like you have been to you know all of the gardening shows around the country and you know seen all of these. You go to shows and you see things which are very, very inspirational for us as garden garden writers, but maybe too aspirational for, for regular gardeners and for things that we want to have in our own gardens. So I, am, I was very keen to make sure that all our contributors are real gardeners and that they're gardening in real Scottish gardens. And I'm really delighted to, to, to see that we have such a range of gardeners. So um, we have uh, Carrie who gardens in Shetland, which is fascinating. Her columns are just fascinating because 
the climate there is very, very windy and, and dark, you know, and an awful lot earlier in the wintertime than we are around the rest of the country. So um, what she manages to produce in the most difficult of climates is absolutely fascinating and then truly inspirational for other Scottish gardens where we all cope with wind, for example, but she copes with it in, in the extreme. So, so that's great. And we have writers from around the country, so not just from Shetland, but from Perthshire, Aberdeenshire, Glasgow, Edinburgh, all covering a range of, of different topics. Um, we have a, a lady who writes from East Lothian. She gardens in a new build property with two small children. Um, and that's, that's real gardening. And again, she produces you know, lots of fabulous produce. Um, we have our, our indoor gardening writer, for example. So that's a, an aspect that we can't miss of gardening now because of the growing trend of, of having houseplants and indoor jungles. So that's all, always wonderful to hear about which houseplants will do well in certain rooms in your house, which houseplants will do you know, really well in dark, dingy corners of your hallway or really bright conservatories. Um, so we've got a great range of, of gardening writers. Um, but also you can be guaranteed that when you read their columns, that's real gardening going on in their real gardens. So if David Gallagher, who writes from Tom's Hidden Garden in Bonnybridge in the Central Belt, tells you that this month the Skimmia Japonica are doing absolutely wonderful in a container in his front garden at his front door, and there's a picture to go with it, you can be guaranteed that that Skimmia Japonica is doing really well in Bonnybridge at this time of year. So... From that, we hope that other people, um, you know, can see what it does well in different parts of the country because we have to recognise across the, the whole country we have different climates. We have a real diversity in Scotland's gardening landscape. Um, so it's important to, to recognise that as well. And that's why for each of our writers in their column is their location. So if you are also in that location or that kind of generic area, you can relate to, to that growing climate. Um, we have, we have gardening for children. Um, we have a writer from Aberdeenshire, Joanne, who writes about gardening for children. So that's great to get them involved as well. And we have a garden designer, Katrina Flad, who writes um, about sustainable gardening, um, a hugely popular topic. So that's great to include um, her, her trained background in garden design and how you can incorporate garden design ideas into your garden, but in a really sustainable way. So it's, it's wonderful. Our newest um, addition to the team is uh, Lucy Bloom, who has appeared on Beach Grove with her balcony garden. Right? And again, that's another important area to address because with the rise in popularity in gardening this year of all years, we have found that lots of people are in urban settings and they don't have access to a, a garden, be that large or small. So to have someone who can write about the volume of you know, plants, foliage, veg that she grows on her balcony is really great too. And again, she's a real gardener, gardening in a, on a real balcony in Scotland. So um, all of that is fab. Plus we have um, like Neil, Neil White, who's a published author. He writes about how to be a bit more self-sustaining in your garden. And we're really lucky that we have the two big organisations um, in Scotland, um, the, the Cali and Trellis. Both of them have charitable status who actually write a column every issue for us as well. I am just explaining a wee bit more about the work that they do. And for all Scottish gardeners, it's great to get behind charitable organisations that are doing a lot in the background to promote horticulture at different levels and to, to different people. So 
Um, I'm really excited about the range of um, contributors that we have and also that all of those contributors live in Scotland and are real gardeners. And then one of our, our, our columnists, um, Dina Watt, she gardens in Aberdeenshire, but her column is the cookery column. And that's fantastic because she gives you recipes that she has created herself from the homegrown produce in her garden. So that for, for all of us gardeners, we all have lots of things and we all have things that we grow and then think, oh, I'm really not quite sure what to do. Do I just boil this? I'm not quite sure what to do with it. So having someone who can say, well, actually, throw these things together, stick them on a skewer, and wow, you've got you know a hearty meal there um, is wonderful as well. So I like to think that so far we've covered quite a, quite a diverse range of gardening and gardening kind of styles. But if, if readers feel there are things missing or things that would like to be covered, um, they can absolutely always get in touch and, and let us know what else they would like to see. And in fact, um, all of the topics which we cover have actually been informed by our readership. So before launch, we did quite a lot of market research um, and asked people what they would like to see in a Scottish gardening magazine. And um, I have to say, the, the range of things that we got in terms of topics could actually keep us going for about five years. <laughs> oh, sure. There just seemed to be such a dearth of information that people were, were really looking for, um, particularly, you know, in, in Scotland. Um, so things like addressing, as we said before, windy gardens, um, how to garden on a steep slope, many, many slopes we have in Scotland. Um, looking at mulching, um, quite popular was the idea of people wanting to have jobs which were um, appropriate for the time of year. Um, we've also looked at lawn care, what kind of things to grow in containers. So the content is all seasonal um, and it's really been informed by what our readers have told us and then fed into by the variety of columns that we have heard gardening across um, different areas of the country. Mm -hmm. It's funny because what you're talking about with the magazine is kind of why I started the podcast as well because I, I got into podcast listening and really wanted to hear something it was from Scotland and it didn't exist so um, I thought we'd just sort of go out and create it so we're both coming from a very similar place there but um, you in particular have just managed to um, really bring together such a such a wide range of information I mean you've it's an ambitious project but I think it's one that's definitely really timely um, at the moment and I hope lots of and it sounds like you've had a good reaction from uh, people yeah you've, you've uh, got a lot of interest so far in the in the magazine yeah, absolutely. It was quite overwhelming, even the, that first weekend of launch back in um, August 2020, even in the first weekend. I mean, hundreds of people subscribed in that first weekend to receive the magazine, which was fantastic. And we're backed by uh, a very engaged and socially savvy audience as well, who you know want to get involved on their Facebook and Instagram and Twitter groups. Um, and, and predominantly, that's where people have come forward from um, in order to feature their own gardens. So our readers' gardens have been uh, very popular, I think predominantly because people reading the magazine can see that the readers' gardens are real gardens. We're not looking to take fancy smanchy pictures for a glossy magazine. We're looking to show what is growing you know, in that garden and, and how did you get there? What, what's your story? What did you do? So it's not look at what you could do, look how wonderful this is. It's much more like, look at what is possible. And like, so in issue two, for example, we featured two readers' gardens, both of which were tiny in size. 
so much more realistic for people um, to look at and to think, well, my garden's no bigger than that, or, you know, my, my garden's tiny too. So it's not about making things look wonderful. It's about real real gardens in, in Scotland by, by real Scottish people who are gardening in them. So I think that the amount of people who have maybe come forward to present their own gardens, uh, hopefully recognise that, that they're, they're being showcased, if you like, to other gardeners in Scotland who have almost got their back because they think, yeah, I face those same problems too. So that's, that's quite nice. And let's face it, who else wants to write about a... a a country which has um, short summers, cold winters, and a damp and windy climate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we look at those challenges as as um, Scottish gardeners, and you know, celebrate the positives in that. So we might have short summers, but we have longer daylight hours. You know, we might have cold winters, but we have areas in the country that benefit from that Gulf Stream passing through. So they can grow such an unusual variety of plants that you wouldn't expect to see in Scotland. We you know, we have a damp and windy climate, but we have plants which are bred in Scotland, which thrive in that climate. And I think, um, particularly in our social media, that's the, the kind of questions we get over and over again. You know, what will survive in, in a Scottish climate? You know, what would be the right plant for this weather? What plants will do well here? Um, so every issue we try and feature, you know, a lot of plants that specifically will do well in Scotland, tried and tested by Scottish gardeners. Brilliant. I mean, you're right. There's nowhere in Scotland where you could grow nothing at all. So um, it's important to actually address that and, and think about you've just got to consider what your conditions are and then adapt to that. But so one thing as well that and you've sort of almost touched on it, there's um, the accessibility of the magazine uh, from the point of view of its actual delivery. Um, talk, can you talk a little bit about the format of it and why you've gone with it the way it is? So issue one went live in August 2020 as a digital edition and the decision to launch the magazine digitally um, and and not uh, in traditional print was informed really by three things. So um, first of all the declining rates of magazines purchased during lockdown as more people access magazine and print content online. um, that was quite a big decision. It would be it'd be quite folly to launch a new offering to a declining print market. You know, we know that between um, 2010, 2018, for example, national newspaper circulation has decreased by 53%. Um, and all of that was compounded during lockdown when people weren't going to the shops as often. And so they were able to access, you know, content online. They, there was a need, there was a want to access content online. So that was quite an overarching issue that print circulation was decreasing so to to launch into a declining market would not have been sensible. The second reason for launching the Scottish Garden magazine as a digital edition um, was the desire for the magazine to be able to reach across the length and breadth of the country. Um, I quite strongly felt that we could hardly call a magazine the Scottish Gardening magazine if it was only available in a really small geographic area of the country and if it wasn't reflective of the diversity of, of our gardening landscape. Um, so by launching digitally, it can reach those in the, the Outer Hebrides exactly at the same time as it reaches those in the borders. It can reach from east to west, north to south, and right out to the islands all at exactly the same time. So nobody feels that they've been left out or that they, they are waiting for the ship to come in before they can access you know, that distribution. Um, and the third reason for launching the magazine um, digitally 
um, is really a, a, an eco-friendly one to be to, to give readers that kind of eco-friendly uh, option and to get on board with it. So there's no use of paper involved whatsoever um, in a digital edition. And because we don't then have physical distribution miles to get the magazine onto shelves, we're not adding to air pollution from transportation. And I think um, as gardeners, we acutely feel that wish and that desire to be more sustainable. So to launch something which doesn't use paper and doesn't have distribution miles sits well with me because we are hopefully contributing to the solution and not adding to the problem. It can be accessed on any platform uh, digitally whatsoever. The text is fully responsive, so it can be read on a desktop, a laptop, a tablet, a, a mobile phone. It can be uh, opened on one and finished on another. Um, I, I like to think that um, if you read it on your phone, um, and we, we know statistically from market research as well that 51% of adults in Britain um, last year, 2019, consumed magazines on their phone compared to 40% who would read a print magazine. So I like to think the magazine is always in your pocket or in your handbag if you've got it, um, you've got it on your phone. You can access it anywhere. So it drops into your inbox and you can open it on um, any size of device or computer and the, the text is fully responsive. You don't have to um, pinch to zoom into anything. It will just respond to your, your, your screen size. So it's accessible to anyone at any time. You don't have to worry about sitting on a train or standing in a queue for a supermarket. You can whip it out and carry on reading <laughs> whenever. I mean, I do appreciate that for some people it's not their chosen form of reading because it's maybe something different. And um, I admittedly too like the feel of a magazine, but um, the, the market isn't there to, to launch another traditional print magazine at the moment. And um, as I say, quite quite strongly, I feel that, and this this can be accessed by everyone equally across the country at the same time. And in fact, beyond, when we've looked at our stats for the last couple of issues, oh my goodness, the magazine is being read like in Canada, in Australia, in Hong Kong, um, in lots of European countries. Quite a lot of followers from Norway. Um, so it's wonderful to to see that, and also. There are a huge amount of followers or readers reading from England, and that was lovely to see when we kind of drilled down into our stats as well. So while the Scots are desperately reading all of these magazines produced in England, just because we're all you know hungry for gardening information, it's lovely to see that lots of people from England are also accessing a gardening magazine just because it's all about gardening. And even for people in the north of England, you know, climatically, we might be much more in tune with, you know, their particular growing um, kind of climate. So um, that, that's been great. That's been lovely to see as well. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um, I expected perhaps you would get um, some readers from the north of England, but I didn't realise there'd be so many from right around the world. That's, that's brilliant, isn't it? It's such a good idea just to... Um, I think that idea that everyone in the country can access it is so important. Yeah. So what about yourself then? What, what is your gardening background? What's your garden like? How did you develop this love of plants and, and um, being outdoors and all that sort of thing? Tell me a bit about you and your background then. Well, I actually think my love of gardening was imbued upon me. So my mum was a, a really keen gardener and was extremely green-fingered. Um, unfortunately, I didn't ask enough questions or pay enough attention before we lost her. Um, and I really regret that. But 
something happened. I think, you know, a couple of years after we lost my mum, honestly, something happened and suddenly I felt literally imbued with this knowledge. <laughs> it, it really happened quite bizarrely and I would be out thinking, oh my goodness, how, you know, we started in our garden with a complete blank canvas when we moved in. It was all laid to lawn with two trees. Um, I have quite a large garden. I um, didn't really know for quite a number of years what to do with it. Um, and then, as I say, suddenly felt imbued with this knowledge from above. I, I mean, I really do have to say that, that I found myself knowing things about plants and flowers. I, I, I don't know where the knowledge came from. I certainly hadn't read about it. But that really whet my appetite. And then, yeah, I am in my own garden really did start thinking, right, let's let's get on with it now. And so lots and lots of lawn has been dug up, which is fabulous. <laughs> um, and um, I've got borders everywhere and a veg, a raised beds for veg and fruit uh, everywhere as well. So so it's great. Um, I gardened on heavy clay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a real challenge. But it's a challenge which allows me to to have a lot um, of trial and error, let's just say. So I am certainly not afraid to move plants about. I'm a great believer that if a plant um, is not happy, it's not the right place for it. So dig it up and move it. Um, so I would I would probably describe my own gardening style as experimental. <laughs> that I will put something in, I'll give it the year or the season to try. And if it's not doing well, I will lift it and I will move it. Um, I don't ever throw a plant away I mean a plant is never done for me it just means it's not doing well in that place so it needs to be moved to you know more shade or more sun or, or more 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 soggy ground because I have plenty of heavy clay soil I can always provide soggy ground if a plant is not very happy trying to get a sunny border is perhaps a wee bit more difficult um, um, I the, the colours in the garden um, predominant, the predominant colour was everything was designed around was purple All right so I started off with purple as the, the colour scheme and that kind of moves through the season, starting with like the, the kind of crocus and the tulips and alliums and it, we move through into salvias and lavenders and kind of finish off with um, the big salvia amistads and hebes and things. Um, but in that colour scheme as well, so the purple is punctuated by pink and white with the pinks coming in in the springtime through tulips as well and, and rhododendrons. And the white comes in through creamula denticulatas and the um, kind of shasta daisies as we move through the seasons. And then it was all supposed to finish um, with purple with a big red punctuation mark at the end of the season and the big crocosmia lucifers. But over the past few years, they're blooming earlier and earlier. Yeah, I find that this year as well. So they're supposed to really come out when I started, the, you know, trying to plant this, this scheme by colour. Um, they were coming out in late August, so it was lovely because all the summer things were dying back, and now they're coming out at the end of July, and, and I've still got the, the pinks, and they're supposed to have died back by then. Um, so uh, the Crocosmia the is supposed to come out later and be the kind of final punctuation mark with the Salvia Amistads and the Verbena Bonariensis and be that lovely big finale, but, you know, colour is colour, and um, it can come out at any time of year. And it's um, all lovely at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it just I think this year, given the um, the really good weather so early on in the year, everything came on um, much much faster than it normally would. So we had this riot of colour at one point, but everything just bloomed very very early. But you know, we'll take it. We'll take it where we can get it. <laughs> 
But yours isn't the only guard you're involved with, isn't that right? I garden within the community gardeners on a Wednesday morning. And most weeks it's the highlight of my week. I, I just love it. I think community gardening keeps us grounded as well. It really, um, the ability to, I think, to have a shared purpose. And here is a piece of ground that we want to make either more productive or, or more pretty, or we want to make it more accessible for members of the community. So sharing that shared purpose with a group um, keeps us grounded and, and it keeps gardening sociable, which is obviously a massive you know, well-being effect of, of gardening together. Um, and I just, uh, I, I just love it. It gets me out of the office on a Wednesday morning, gets me out into the fresh air, you know, all the recognised benefits of what gardening does for us physically as, as well as um, mentally are all there. And um, it's just lovely. It's just really lovely. And I, I've been really um, kind of heartened this year by the amount of people across the country who have got involved in community gardening projects as well. I think that can only be of benefit at community level, but also really at a personal level for people. Um, you know, lockdown was hard. It was really hard for people. So if there was a way for those who maybe don't have access to their own garden to be able to get out and to be part of something bigger than themselves, then it's, it's only a wonderful thing for, for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I believe you're also um, involved, uh, you've got some connection with schools as well and schools gardening, is that right? Yes, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a schools mate, a mentor for schools for the, the RHS. Um, how did you get into that then? How did, how did that come about? Well, that really ticks all my boxes because um, I am a high school teacher to trade. So when I was asked by the RHS to get involved in their school mentoring programme, I mean, I really jumped at the chance to get back in and work with high school students again. And, you know, single-handedly, as a gardener, it was one of the best things I've ever got involved with mm -hmm. the I mean I can't even tell you the enthusiasm of these high school students was just utterly inspiring like their um, their task was to design a garden on paper you know it wasn't physically being built at that stage they had to design a garden on paper but they had to come up with you know what the purpose of the garden was and who the garden would be used by and what they wanted to achieve but their ideas, particularly their concern for the planet, was 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 just wonderful. They were so well informed as young people. Um, one of the groups I worked with wanted everything in this garden. You know, they wanted it to be pollinator friendly, so it was packed with flowers. But they also wanted to make sure there was no plastic being involved. And you know, all of the well, not all. But I think some of the things that as gardeners we struggle with thinking that we should be doing or that we need to do, and we worry maybe sometimes too much about how we achieve that end goal. This generation of kids have it already. They, they're not lost in the debate about why they should be doing this and why they should be using less plastic or why they should be saving rainwater or why they should be using less peat. They're not involved in that debate. They just take that as red, so they're doing it. So the designs of their gardens incorporated all the ideas that I think our generation are still struggling with, how we incorporate that. They're just doing it. So it was... It was utterly inspiring. And if you've ever got a chance to be involved with that, it's run across the country in different areas, then it really, really is worthwhile giving up your time to do it. Because when it comes to the kind of um, the finale day where all of the school groups come together and they do, uh, they, they make their garden up in a, like a, a model, like almost like a cardboard box model. And then they do a presentation. Um, it's, it's just utterly inspiring. You literally leave feeling the future of gardening is safe.
speaks well for the future, I think, of, of horticulture in Scotland, if we can retain that enthusiasm and that talent. Well, that leads me nicely on to what I was going to um, uh, talk about next, which is sort of Scottish gardening in general, I guess, and where it's going. It does, as you've said already, seem like a sort of an almost a turning point. We've had so many more uh, millions, I think, of new gardeners um, uh, becoming interested in the hobby and interested in horticulture over this year in particular. And, um, you know, we've got these schemes in schools and so many more community gardens opening up people interested in allotments, the rise and rise of the Instagardener, you know, it, it, it seems to me that um, more and more people are becoming interested. Where, you know, what, where do you see Scottish horticulture going next? And do you have high hopes for, for you know, what can be achieved, I suppose? Yeah, I think I, I think I think I always have high hopes. I think as gardeners, we are prepossessed to have high hopes because what gardening gives us is, is always that that future hope. You don't plant a seed expecting it to to sit there and rot. You plant a seed expecting it to grow into something which either looks pretty or which you can eat. So I think as gardeners, we always have a rosy outlook um, on things. Um, and my hope is that all of those people who got involved in gardening during lockdown will be able to not necessarily sustain it just because they found it um, rewarding during that period of time, but sustain it because they found it rewarding for themselves just in, in general. Um, and I think it's our job as um, garden writers and podcasters and garden photographers and broadcasters to make sure that that message is conveyed across the length and breadth of the country. No one wants to start you know, something about which they know nothing. So I think... And like all industries, you know, horticulture can have um, snobbery attached to it. it. It can have things which are maybe put out in the public domain, which are not understandable if you are a complete beginner. So I, I think it speaks to all of us to make sure that the information that we put out doesn't just speak to experts and to specialists, but but is accessible by those who are just starting off. And, and I really hope that those have been bitten by the bug. I am... Um, so certainly during lockdown, I was doing um, online broadcasts all the time on Facebook and Instagram lives about, you know, how to repurpose toilet rolls. And, you know, we couldn't get to, to um, garden centres and, and places where we could acquire all of these things. Um, and showing people how to sow tomatoes and then how to, you know, move things on and how to split basil plants and right back to basics, you know, but, but things that, that people could actually do in their own homes and their own balconies and their own gardens and their own allotments. So I really hope that that's where we're going in the future. I hope that the wider, um, the wider, not industry, I guess, but the, the wider world has recognised what garden contributes. I mean, garden contributes millions every year to the Scottish economy. But more than that, it contributes so much to people's health and well-being and the benefits of gardening physically, mentally and, you know, for, for general well-being are so well documented that they should almost come to the fore much more now. You know, being allowed out during lockdown for one walk a day and people generally wanted to walk in a green space. I mean, that in itself shows, you know, the power that green spaces um, have for us. Um, and then, I mean, there are there are already there are quite a few in England and um, quite a few health boards in England who prescribe mm-hmm. um, kind of a, a green prescription, if you like. And um, instead of asking people to take a pill um, or to address problems in different ways, they are prescribing getting out and gardening in community settings because the research is there to support 
you know, what it will do for people. So, yeah, those are all my kind of hopes for the future that um, people will continue and their interest in gardening, those who are quite new to it, those who have taken it up on, but that we will, um, we will as an industry sustain that by the information that we put out to people and the encouragement we, we give people. And, um, and, and going back to, you know, the work I saw going on in schools, that we can find some way to keep encouraging those, you know, the next generation to, to get out and, and, and to garden. Um, and I wonder, you know, yeah, with it, you know, we had lockdown and that was a particularly difficult time for people, but with the fear of Brexit looming, you know, will that encourage more people to actually start to grow their own produce um, as well now? If you, can, if you can just get people started in growing their own produce, that in itself gives such a, such a, such a reward in itself that it then encourages them to go on and do more the next year, encourages them to go on and do the next year. You know, I mean, I, the first year I set anything at all, it was potatoes because I thought they were quite easy and children would like to do them and they were very little and we got involved with them. And you put them in the ground and don't really need to do that much else with them. So pick easy crops, you know, when you're starting off. And now I, I do potatoes and I can't even cabbage, onion, leeks, peas. We've got um, so much going on in the ground sometimes that I'm not even quite sure what's going to come up. Carrots. I know it's um, so addictive. You just want to keep planting more and more, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so many herbs and then trees, but gooseberries and raspberries and strawberries and apples and everything growing. Yeah, and sometimes, like as all gardeners do, you know, someone gives you a seed packet and you have no desire to grow that. You don't even like that food or you don't like that flower particularly. It doesn't match what you but, but it's just the joy of sowing the seeds and seeing what happens. So, yeah, let, let some massive giveaways across the country and get people gardening more. It's, it's yeah. great for their own personal health. It's great for communities. It's great for the planet. You know, what's not, what's not to love about gardening? I mean, it's preaching to the converted, talking to you, but what's not to love? <laughs> I'm just glad that people are starting to believe us now when we say gardening is good for you and, you know, get out there and do it and it's addictive and it's brilliant. Well, we need to keep spreading the word and uh, <laughs> the podcast, hopefully, and the magazine are good ways to do that. What about the magazine then? What's next for it? I mean, hopefully at the time of people listening to this right now, they should also be able to get their hands on the issue three of the magazine, um, which is coming out, which is out this month in December as we're recording this. Um What's next? What, what what do you want to do next year? Keep going, keep building, keep changing things and tweaking things? Yep, pretty much actually, absolutely all that. Keep building um, the audience. So the hope is that people will keep, you know, sharing the magazine with their friends and family and we'll keep building that subscriber base because the more people who can talk about growing um, in, in Scottish gardens, then the wider the word spreads and the more hopefully we encourage people um, to do that. So by showcasing other people's gardens and by looking at what the columnists are doing at certain times of the year. Hopefully that, that encourages people to maybe give things a go which they haven't tried before. Um, so the next issue after the December one will be February because it's a bi-monthly publication um, at the moment. Um, so the February issue will be so exciting because we're just getting into starting off in the growing season. So yes, we'll be looking at chitting potatoes and sowing onions and uh, um, all of the things that we're really keen to get to get going and we're not that far from the you know the clocks changing again so everybody's uh, obviously an, an exciting uh, edition and over the February and April editions we also get to celebrate snowdrops and tulips and daffodils and all those wonderful spring flowers which just herald the start of a, of a new year. So if anybody wants to read the magazine or follow you in some way where are the best places to find you? 
well, the the magazine is all over um, social media, so it's just the Scottish Gardening magazine. We're on we're on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, so come and join us, have a chat, and on all of those platforms as well, there's a, a link to subscribe. So subscription to the magazine is free. So and all we need is your email address. We don't need any other details. Don't need your home address because it's not being delivered. It's being dropped into your inbox. So all you need to sign up. Um, is your email address and then it will be delivered um, straight to your inbox generally around the first Friday of every second month. Well everybody should sign up and receive it and also keep listening to this podcast hopefully and we'll just keep spreading the word and talking about how brilliant Scottish gardening is. was M.T. O'Donnell, the creator and editor of the Scottish Gardening magazine, which is available for download right now. At the time of making this episode, issue three has just been published with a great Christmas gift guide included. And you might even find a few words from me in there, listing some of my New Year's resolutions for my garden. So a big thank you to M.T. And please do subscribe to the magazine if you haven't already. Read it, enjoy it and support the celebration of Scottish gardening. As always, the website and social media links are listed in the show notes for this episode. And that's it for the Scottish Garden Podcast for 2020. I want to wish all my listeners a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. And I do hope to meet you back here again in 2021 for a new growing season. Can't wait. And to find out some more about the gardens and growers of Scotland. Until then, be happy and well in your garden. Goodbye.